Today's episode brought to you by Test Prep MVP. That is a specific initiative of what's called Exercise MVP. Test Prep MVP is a way of using exercise to stimulate an incredibly powerful neurological state so that attention and retention during a study session improves. This is actually an initiative of the Good Athlete Project based on tons of research and proven out countless times. The last time we ran ACT study prep sessions in Chicago, we saw a 3.3 point increase on ACT math exams. Just in case you're not familiar, the ACT is out of 36. We're moving scores 3.3 points on average. Those are outcomes that just can't be matched. Now, to learn more about how it is, how it works, and what we do, reach out to us either at Exercise MVP on social media or at Good Athlete Project, and of course, GoodAthleteProject.com. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. So in October of 2019, we hosted one of our Beyond Strength Clinics over at TC Boost, which is a premier athletic training facility in Northbrook, Illinois. One of our guests is an incredible voice in the field. His name is Tony Moreno. Tony has been a professor at Eastern Michigan University since 2004. He's presented regionally, nationally, and internationally in the areas of ACL injury prevention, adaptive physical activity, and physical training, and most notably, and the reason we were so happy to have him as part of our discussion, long-term athletic development. His areas of academic interest include youth, sport, and physical activity, particularly with regard to motor skill acquisition, injury prevention, performance enhancement, and the role of motor ability on athlete development and fitness through the lifespan. He has over 15 peer-reviewed journal publication credits and is undoubtedly an expert in the field. He got his Bachelor of Science from Cal State University, Fullerton, his Master's in Physical Education from University of Nevada, and his PhD in Kinesiology from Michigan State University. He also just happens to be an awesome guy who is about the right things, passionately pursuing accuracy in the way that we view youth sports, and I hope you'll follow him on Twitter. Uh, and all those sorts of social media because he has a lot to say. His heart is in the right place, so is his mind, and we could not be happier to bring you his presentation from the 2019 Beyond Strength Clinic at TC Boost, Dr. Tony Moreno. What is long-term athletic development? I think one of the things that we have to understand is that a concept that's been around for quite a, bit, uh, a long time, um, if you think about uh, ancient um, civilizations such as those you find among the Athenians and the Spartans, uh, they raised their youth, particularly the males, to become better combatants. And they use a variety of physical training and mental training tactics and able to do that. And so that's kind of where the origins of this idea of athlete development started. And of course these models and these ideas eventually found their ways uh, where it became as a weapon for uh, political doctrine, the free world versus communism. If you can't compete with guns and rockets, you compete with political ideologies, and the best platform for that is the Olympic Games. So there was quite a bit of investment from the communist countries into understanding or better understanding youth and sport development. Thus, the concepts of general physical preparation and specific physical preparation. I don't know how many of you are familiar with those terms. Um, Istvan Balye was a Hungarian who emigrated to Canada when the Berlin Wall came down, and he brought some of these concepts with him to the West. And he wrote this book in 2013 titled Long-Term Athletic Development. And the concepts are very much tied to those ideas of general physical preparation and specific physical preparation. But what we have to understand with this concept is that it is a cradle-to-grave concept. It's from birth until we pass, and you'll see this in a few minutes. Athletic developments to the 
It refers to the physical development of youth. That includes training, health, skill, and performance-related components of fitness. One thing about this ideology is, is it's not exclusive to those kids that show extreme athletic prowess. It is for everybody. So it's a concept or an idea that's there for everybody to be able to utilize. The reason I mentioned that long-term athletic development is a path towards physical literacy, one of the ideas that I embrace as a local youth sport coach educator is that I want to involve or engage as many kids as I possibly can in our youth programs. It's important. It's important for our culture to become physically literate. And when we think about the concept of physical literacy, it's the competence and the confidence to move throughout the lifespan. It's not just about sports. It's about physical activity. It's about movement. Because we're all going to evolve from being youth sport participants to adults to potential coaches as parents and maybe perhaps administrators and participating in physical activity as we age. And this has important uh, consequences later on in life that you'll see in a little bit. So this definition, the motivation, confidence, and physical competence to be able to participate and maintain physical activity throughout the lifespan is what physical literacy is. And long-term athletic development enables us to have a framework to achieve that in our culture. So this concept or this idea of long-term athletic development was embraced by the United States Olympic Committee. And we've created our own framework, our own model. And the USOC has shared this framework with each of the national governing bodies for many of the res respective sports that are out there. There's obviously USA Hockey, US Lacrosse, USA Football, USA Baseball, USA Basketball, Tennis, Swimming, Tennis, so on and so forth. Each of these national governing bodies has created their own athletic development model for their respective sports. One of the things you have to realize is that the United States Olympic Committee our governing body that oversees sport development in the United States does not have the power to mandate for any of these sports to create their own model. And so one of the things that's kind of disconcerting about athlete development in the United States is that everybody kind of has their own path, their own direction in which they're going with their particular sport. Um, now, and I'll address that in a few minutes here. but. It's basically a, a pathway, as I said earlier, that enables our youth or our kids to be able to pursue physical activity and sport throughout the lifespan. And so the United States Olympic Committee has embraced this long-term athletic framework. And they also embrace the fact that we use this framework as a path towards a physically literate culture and society. You can see to the right here there are various stages, and I'll give you a little bit better picture of these stages right here in a few minutes. So, Essentially, grades K through 4, what is important about this framework is that we emphasize the opportunity for kids to discover various types of movement experiences and opportunities, to learn how to participate in various types of play and games, whether it be structured play or free play. This is essential and this is important. The acquisition of fundamental motor skill is so important to each and everybody's movement skill and ability. It would be similar to writing a paragraph. You cannot construct a paragraph unless you can put together sentences. You can't put together sentences unless you construct words, and you can't construct words unless you know the alphabet. Fundamental movement skills are your alphabet. If you have not acquired fundamental movement skills, 
it is very difficult to perform complex sport maneuvers. And so that is why at these age groups, it is very important from K through four to make sure that we ensure that these kids have the opportunity to be exposed to these fundamental movement opportunities and to be able to exhibit them in structured and free play opportunities. It is the first and most vital step in the development of athletes. As a mature, now we can start to introduce games and very basic skills and very basic tactics. Obviously, kids mature, and they want to challenge themselves in many different types of environments. And so for grades four through six, essentially, and I'm using grades here, one of the things that you have to understand with long-term athletic development is that it's extremely variable because growth and maturation of the human is extremely variable. And that's particularly more evident as you get into the train and compete stages here. Grade six and eight, so this is where we start that transition from childhood into adolescence and from adolescence into adulthood. So there's, a, again, a lot of variability here. So there's going to be changes in body mass. There's going to be changes in the hormonal mechanisms that contribute to physical strength. There's going to be changes in the length of the limbs and the circumference. All of these physical changes are going to create changes in terms of how we move and how you're capable of controlling the body. That's why it's so vital at the younger ages to learn fundamental movement skills. Your nervous system, your central nervous system, which begins its refinement in these early stages, that's your software. Your nervous system is your operating software. Your muscles, your bones, your tendons, your ligaments, your connective tissue, that's your hardware. The software dictates what the hardware does. And so that's why it's so important at these early ages to really start to learn how to refine movements. As kids become high school students, it's very important that we give them multiple opportunities to learn how to move. And this is true in the earlier stages as well. But I like the idea of the multi-sport athlete because it exposes them to multiple movement experiences. Movement experiences that you will use in various types of practice and competitive types of situations. We also know and realize that every child is not going to be a high school athlete. It's understandable. But the most important thing is in the earlier stages here, where they've become competent and confident movers, that maybe perhaps there are other movement experiences that they appreciate and they enjoy, such as dance, or rock climbing, or surfing, or longboarding, or paddle tennis, or whatever. It doesn't matter. But you've given them that confidence and that confidence where that maybe perhaps they are not that varsity athlete, but they still find enjoyment and pleasure in participating in various types of games and play. And there are many opportunities for them to do that. Because we also know that not every high school athlete is going to be a college athlete, and not every college athlete is going to be a professional athlete. However, if we follow the framework, we have given them the tools that they need to pursue and follow physical activity throughout the lifespan. And that is the blessing of this long-term athletic development, is that it gives you a participation pathway and a competition pathway. As we reach our adult stages, this gives us opportunity to maybe, perhaps, if we're lucky, participate as a collegiate or professional or elite athlete. It gives us the opportunity to participate in many of those movement opportunities that I explained earlier. But also what's important is the opportunity to give back. Give back as a mentor. Give back as a coach. Give back as an administrator. That's where I'm right now. I participated in a sport as a young child, many sports. But at this stage of my life, I participate recreationally but I'm giving back as an administrator and as a coach so that we can give kids a model or a framework similar to this so that the cycle can perpetuate itself. This is an example 
of an athlete development model. And I, the reason I have this here is I want you to understand that there's both what we call vertical and horizontal integration. Through various stages of maturation, and if you can see this at the bottom, prepubertal, circumpubertal, and postpubertal, basically where you are in terms of this transition from childhood to adult, you can see that vertically, all of these motor abilities, speed, power, strength, fundamental motor ability, they're all important. And we don't neglect any one of these at any stage. They're all important. But there are certain things that we emphasize more at a certain stage than others. And so we emphasize things more as we move horizontally on this table. For example, we know that strength and power, using your body weight in a play or game type of environment, is very important as a young kid. But as you mature, we know that unless testosterone or growth hormone or insulin-like growth factors are present and available, you're not going to exhibit exceptional strength. You're not going to be able to exhibit exceptional hypertrophy until the later stages where we have the opportunity to expose you to various types of resistance training programs and protocols. So it both has vertical integration in that we, we want to do everything, but we emphasize certain things depending upon where you are in the stages. So movement is of emphasis in the earlier stages. Power and strength are of more emphasis in the later stages when we have those hormonal mechanisms in place to be able to emphasize that. I speak to parents, and I can't speak like an academic to parents. They quite frankly don't have the same background. So what I like to do to get buy-in, and that's important for my league, I'm trying to get buy-in for my parents to kind of embrace and follow the framework that I would look to, like to have so that I can produce more participation. Participation is important to me. So if you look at this, if you look at my adaptation to the American development model, K through four, I emphasize discovery and exploration, fundamentals of movement, instruction of very basic lacrosse skills, play and fun. Play and fun is of emphasis. The number one reason kids participate in sport, it's fun. The number one reason they drop out, it's not fun. Fun is extremely vital for me. I have to make that experience positive. So that's a very strong emphasis for me to keep participation and have those kids go back and tell their friends, hey, you should try this lacrosse stuff out. It's a lot of fun. Have them come back. Fifth and eighth grade, again, depending upon where they are in terms of maturation, play and fun is always emphasized. I emphasize a multi-sport experience. I have situations where parents will come to me with a conflict. Should my son play baseball and lacrosse? Should my daughter do softball and lacrosse? I go, why don't you ask them? Let them pick. Let them choose what they want to play. And sometimes they'll say, well, they're confused. They want to do both. I say, awesome. They might miss some practices. They might miss some games. So what? Who cares? It's about the kid. Let them have fun. And the movement experiences, as you will see, they cross. They can help each other. All sports can mutually help each other in the development of an athlete. So I don't get in the middle of that, particularly in these stages, fifth and eighth grade. Improvement of athletic ability. So uh, my definition of an athlete is your ability to solve a movement problem. That's a very, very simplistic definition. 
Um, but in that process, there are many things as an athlete at, that you have to have. In this facility, um, well, I guess we can divide it into three areas. We can look at physical development, we can look at psychological development, and there's the nutritional perspectives. Uh, my expertise is only in the physical. I don't have much of a psychological or nutritional background. But I look at things from the physical, I look at biomotor abilities. I look at things like stamina, balance, mobility, strength, power, speed, coordination, agility, quickness, and dexterity. Those are 10 biomotor abilities. It's a facility like this one, which is an outstanding facility, by the way. It's a facility like this that emphasizes those biomotor abilities so they can do them to complement their athletic skills, their specific athletic skills, to become better athletes. So this is kind of where we begin to have kids try to appreciate that these biomotor abilities or these skills are very important for their continued athletic success. And so we start to introduce these things in fifth and eighth grade. And we start to be a little bit more complex in terms of specific tactics. As they transition into high school, now our preparation is not so general, it's really more specific. And it's this period of time from K through eight that we've really emphasized this general preparation. And we really want them to start to master the technical skills of lacrosse, the tactics of lacrosse, but also those specific things, metabolically and mechanically, that are gonna be specific for their sport. And we're also gonna give them opportunities for more advanced competition. Hopefully, it's through this process that we start with discovering exploration and fundamentals of movement that eventually we get to this pathway where they are a lifelong participant as a lacrosse player, as a lacrosse official, as a lacrosse administrator, as a lacrosse parent, or whatever other sports it is that they're involved with. It doesn't matter to me. The important thing is that they're a lifelong participant, and again, we're on that pathway toward becoming a physically literate individual. So as I said earlier, and I'll just basically show you a few concepts from this model. Uh, as I said earlier, fundamental movement skills and motor skills, those are very, very essential. Um, I just have this, uh, I don't, you know, uh, being a bi by trade, I'm a biomechanist. That's my background. That's, that's first and foremost, my background is in, is in sport biomechanics and understanding how it is that we acquire skill. And uh, one of the most basic things is this, when you look at a pyramid here, is that uh, coordinative movements or abilities are the first thing you want to learn. You know, hop, skip, leap, jump, throw, catch, roll, tumble, the basic, very basic fundamental motor skills. And then in this process of training, uh, teach them how to change direction. And that's agility, just your ability to change direction. Uh, your ability to change direction quickly is what we call quickness. Um, but we don't stop there in our training because sport, sport occurs in very unpredictable circumstances. Um, unfortunately, it's not choreographed. And so we have to expose in the training scenarios or situations that are very unpredictable and very challenging for them to be able to figure out. And that's testing the nervous system, quite frankly. Um, I always find it funny when I'm watching a game, whether it be a basketball game or a football game, and you see an athlete leap over a defender just as you see it here, and the announcer goes, you can't teach this. Um, that's not true. Uh, this athlete is coming up with a movement solution to the movement problem. The solution to that problem evolved from the training that came well before this situation arised. But I just kind of want to show you this and emphasize that the mastery of fundamental movement skills in the earlier stages is extremely vital to learning more complex movements that you're going to see in sport. Another thing that's important for youth in athletic development is the opportunity to participate in small-sided games. It was about a year ago. I was in a, uh, 
a dome complex in suburban Detroit, and I was watching a U-10 soccer game on a regulation soccer pitch. That is a major league soccer regulation soccer pitch. And I was watching the game for about five to six minutes or so, and the entire game occurred in one far corner of this uh, dome. Uh, the, the, the goalie literally was uh, on this side where the, uh, from where the play was, was leaning against his goal, like a kid playing right field, picking dandelions or whatever, because he never saw any action for about eight or nine, ten minutes. The defenders were talking back and forth with the goalie. So in this competitive scenario, situation, only a percentage of the kids were really getting an opportunity to understand uh, the scope and nature of the sport. Um, so what we have to do is we have to find opportunities where we have to bring the game to the kids. And one of the ways that we can do this is to create small-sided environments. Small-sided environments for many games means you're going to get more touches, more opportunities to um, make improvements, and more opportunities to make mistakes. You have to make mistakes. You don't learn unless you make mistakes. Small-sided gives you the opportunity to be engaged more to make those mistakes so that you can make those refinements. And so that's particularly important at a young age. We can also modify equipment, the field, dimensions, age group. There's a number of things um, that we can do to kind of alter that. Uh, rules and regulations can be modified, but when you're looking at what we're doing in those earlier stages, from train to compete and below, modifying things and creating small-sided scenarios really challenges your nervous system to come up with multiple solutions to the multiple problems it is you're going to encounter. And that's the first step in athletic development. So I always say, in play and practice, it's okay to let kids have their opportunity to fail. Failure is a good thing when you're learning because you're going to be able to eventually see the mistakes it is that you're making and be able to refine those mistakes and learn from them to make corrections. All movement is like that. Here's kind of a sample model uh, that I use for our practices, and I emphasize and share this with all our coaches. And this was one of the things that was really difficult for me to get across to my coaches that I had in the past and to parents. Um, I know that kids come from different movement backgrounds, different movement experiences. The physical education experiences that we have today are quite different and unique. Some kids get an opportunity to move three times a week for 20 minutes. Some kids twice a week for 50 minutes. Some kids twice a week for 35 minutes. Some kids don't get any minutes, okay? So their opportunity for quality physical education is extremely limited. They're coming back with a different background of movements. So one of the first things I do in my dynamic warm-up is I involve the opportunity for them to acquire and learn many of the fundamental movement skills that they haven't received. And those that have received them, that's fine. They get to rehearse them and be able to have the opportunity to share with the others. So I take that first 10 minutes and use it as a dynamic warm-up period, but I also use it as an opportunity to really emphasize movement skills. The next 15, 20 minutes, we play. We play ultimate frisbee. We play tag. We play sharks and minnows. We play Air Force football. We play anything but lacrosse. Why? Because it's fun. And this is what the kids want to do. And they bring the game. And there's transfer from these games to the sport of lacrosse. Ultimate Frisbee. I grew up in Southern California. Ultimate Frisbee is huge. You've got to find space. Well, that's what I want you to do on a soccer field. It's what I want you to do on a hockey rink. It's what I want you to do in a lacrosse field. Find open space. Learn to make the cut. Learn to make a pass on the move. Learn to absorb force. 
Learn to chase. Learn to evade. These are all the things that you learn in very simple games that have some transferability to these sports. So that first, next 15, 20 minutes, we're just playing. And they're having fun. And they're going to go home, and they're going to go to school, and they're going to tell their buddies, we played ultimate frisbee. We played uh, Air Force football. I thought you were playing lacrosse. Yeah, but we do different things. I'm trying to increase participation numbers. It's a really big, uh, important part of what we try to do. Next 25 to 30 minutes, we do station-based coaching. So we select different skills, uh, lacrosse-specific skills, and we do station-based coaching, and we emphasize those skills. We just go round and round. And then we get into our small-sided for about 10 to 15 minutes. And then we'll scrimmage for the last 15 to 20 minutes. And this is basically the structure of our practices. And um, our practice times vary, you know, an hour and 15 minutes to about an hour and a half or so. But this is the structure. It took me a lot to convince coaches um, the importance of this free and unstructured play, this 15 to 20 minutes of invasion games. They didn't quite understand, well, we should be working on drills. We should be working on tactics. We should be working on things that, you know, if they don't have fundamental movement ability, and I'm sure some of you know this as coaches, it doesn't matter if you got the greatest game plan. It's not going to work because physically they just don't have the capability of executing it. So that's why we incorporate these free play games so they can start to master movements under these types of conditions. Encourage the multi-sport experience. Exposure to multiple movement experience in a variety of environments is movement education. Um, to educate, to adduce. What adduce means is to bring out. You're trying to bring some quality out in somebody. And so we want to bring out a variety of movement experiences from these types of activities. And sports, participation in multiple sports, gives us that opportunity. Multiple experiences enrich proprioception and kinesthesis. That's your software. Your nervous system is your software. Feed will forward, feed back. That's proprioception and kinesthesis. That is so vital. That is so important to be able to master movement. And multiple movement experiences give you that opportunity. Unstable environments, unpredictable environments enable athletic development. Good athletes, great athletes, they have this ability to deal with unfortunate or unpredictable circumstances better than athletes that aren't exposed to multiple moon experiences. You know, we have a higher incidence of youth sport injury today, and in particular overuse injury because we have many kids participating in one sport, a single sport that has repetitive movement patterns because of repetitive practices. And because of these repetitive movements, kids have overuse syndromes and they can't compete or they can't participate. The multiple sport experiences provides the opportunity for kids to learn new movement patterns, incorporate more rest and recovery. The only opportunity that tissue has to repair and remodel itself is when it rests. If you take a rock and you continually strike it with a hammer, it's not going to break the first time. It could be the hundredth time, could be 150, could be 1,000, but eventually it's going to give from repetition. So the body has that opportunity to rest and recover and participate in other movement activities as well. Get out of those repetitious patterns. As I said earlier, general movement patterns can transfer from activity to activity, and it keeps variability throughout the year. Kids don't get bored. As I said earlier, the number one reason kids drop out of sport, it's not fun. If they're bored, they're not having fun. They need to learn other things. So multiple sport experience enables the opportunity to do that. 
I just have a couple of images here of why baseball is such a great sport for goalies in lacrosse. The object is to keep this ball or this whatever it is to go past you. And as you can see here that they're both having to break down the center of gravity, large base of support, getting the stick or the glove in front of the ball. So the movement pattern is very, very similar for an infielder and what a goalie would have to do. The contralateral pattern of throwing and shooting a lacrosse stick, they're exactly the same. They're contralateral movement patterns. So there's some crossover for somebody who plays lacrosse and football. And Michigan is perfect. Lacrosse is a winter sport and football is a fall sport. Defense in basketball, lower center of gravity, big base of support in order to change gravity. So I just have these movements here so you can see that there is crossover in terms of movement from one sport to the next. They help each other. And again, it's these multiple movement experiences that enhance and refine the software, your operating system, that get muscles to move. So again, I just have this here just to always emphasize and a lot of times I find a little bit of, of pushback in this idea or this concept of fun, especially when I was speaking to the Chinese delegation. Um, they don't understand the concept of fun, and I'll tell you why. Eight to ten years of age, and this is what I was told, if you're not in the sports school by eight to ten years of age, you're in the factory. Not in the factory eight to ten years of age, but that's your career path. If you're not in the sports school by eight to ten years of age, there is going to be no athletic career. And so they don't understand this idea, this concept of fun in the United States. Uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build, we're trying to develop our talent pool. And so we need to get more numbers involved and engaged. So we have to keep that experience positive. That's very, very important. And so at each of these various stages, there's a developmental focus and there's a teaching focus. But enjoyment, fun, and passion is always the underlying component and fabric behind that so that we keep kids engaged and involved. And again, ultimately, physical literacy is our aim. We want an active culture. We want an active adult culture. We want an active youth culture. And it all starts with what we do in the earlier stages. If we acquire fundamental movement skill at an early age, it enables and creates movements for opportunities for movement with unstructured play and games, improved movement competence and confidence, positive attitude, improved skill, enhanced fitness, and physical activity throughout the lifespan. That's what physical literacy is, physical activity throughout the lifespan. But it all starts with what we do with our youth and in the earlier ages here. So long-term athletic development is a framework that enables a participation pathway toward a physical literacy, literate culture. I only bring this to rise, and I'm just in, in, getting close to the end here, but the National Physical Activity Plan Alliance, which is a conglomerate of various organizations in the United States that are interested in improving youth sport and youth physical activity. Uh, in 2018, our overall physical activity grade was a D minus. Um, right now, we have unprecedented numbers of youth that are not participating in any form of physical activity. Uh, and so, it, this is going to eventually have dire effects in our, in our health care system, as you will see. Um, we have an opportunity to address this, and we can address it in the physical education setting, in the school setting, which is the best place to address it, by the way. Quality physical education, not just physical education. It has to be quality physical education. Community recreation. 
we have an opportunity to address this. And in youth sport, we have an opportunity to address this. Because we have to change this. And if we don't change this, the trajectory, and I'm sorry, maybe perhaps you can't see this, but in the column, uh, first column here, number of deaths annually attributed to chronic illness and disease. Heart disease, stroke, diabetes, hypertension. These are diseases that are caused from a sedentary lifestyle and poor nutrition. Uh, you don't catch cancer. You don't catch arthrosclerosis. You don't catch hypertension. You don't catch strokes. These are things that are brought upon us by a lack of physical activity. And this is why physical literacy is so important. You give people the competence and the confidence to move throughout the lifespan. That's one of the first devices that we can use to help mitigate health care costs in the United States. You can see the costs in the far right column. $200 billion, direct and indirect, associated with heart disease. $34 billion with stroke. $237 billion with diabetes. $48.6 billion with hypertension. These are not my numbers. These come from the CDC. So this is the path we're going if we don't create frameworks in the school, in the community recreation setting, and in the youth sports setting to give kids the opportunity to become physically literate. And that's why long-term athletic development is so valuable, because it's a framework that can get us there. Thank you. We could not do our work without coffee. Is that fair, Alex? Fair. And there are not many better coffee spots in Chicago than Gallery Cafe. Gallery Cafe, which is run by our good friend Eugene and his brother Billy and just a host of amazing people, is located at 1760 West North Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. It is an historic building in a really cool neighborhood, Wicker Park, with high quality coffee sourced from around the world and roasted in-house. They've also got food. We actually splurged and got a, what was it, an apple cider potato donut today. But they also make sandwiches and amazing breakfast wraps to order. Perfect place to grab a cup of coffee, get some work done, and stick around till lunch. Make sure you stop in and let them know the Good Athlete Project sent you.